Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org and live your Catholic faith in your health care with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be lawyer Lewis Brown, returning to uh, The Good Show. And uh, he's executive director of our sponsor, CMF Curo. And he's an attorney who advocates for Christ-centered health care. So he's working in the, the public arena with policy. And he's also working with a product where they offer health sharing. And they've started something new, and that is health wellness. And it'll be interesting to talk to him about why they decided to do this and, and what the evidence is there for some of these things for helping us to stay healthy. Because I think as Americans, compared to many other countries, we're not so good at staying healthy, are we, Andrew? No, America is, you know, we all have our strengths and America's got many, but uh, that's not one of them. It's not. And part yeah, of it's because just we're so, I think, technologically advanced. I mean, that leads to sedentary lifestyle and poor health in general. Uh, sad, but true. So now we have to be more attentive than maybe in previous generations. I, I was just reminded because uh, last week I, I was at a conference with 17,000 young people. And I think I dropped a few pounds just because I had to do so much walking. And in European countries where they do a lot of walking, I think that in itself takes care of many different health-related issues. Yeah, 100% people who are accustomed, you know, people living in the city and they might not have a car. I mean, most Americans, I'd say, at, at least most of the people I know, uh, they live somewhat away from their work. They're driving to work, parking close, sitting at a desk for a lot of the day. It's just you don't have the opportunity. And so I'm excited to hear what Lewis is doing there. And it's an interesting angle, especially with uh, health insurance, trying to focus on the wellness because, you know, one of the big shakeups with health insurance that that I've kind of been following is after the, the start of Obamacare, they got rid of this, the pre-existing condition bit. So uh, you yes. can't classify folks as a good insurance risk or a bad insurance risk. Um, kind of very different from car insurance. You know, yes. somebody gets in wrecks all the time. They're going to be paying more than somebody who's a good driver. Uh, and same thing for life insurance. You know, there's risk stratification and people pay more if they're more likely to, to be paid out on as an insurance policy. So in health insurance, we don't have that. They can't do that anymore. And so now everybody's paying like they've got all these medical conditions and stuff. So for an insurance uh, provider, I guess, the more they can focus on wellness, saves money in the long run, keeps premiums down, which is really good. That is really good. And I'm curious how many people do that. I remember like 10 years ago, I went and lost 30 pounds. And only after I lost it did I found out I could have gotten money back from my health insurance company. But I didn't know it until afterwards and it didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, that many companies, insurance companies have things like that. You know, if you quit smoking, then, you know, I don't know, they'll send you a free gift card or something like that. And I remember there were sometimes, especially in, in residency, when I would see a lot of patients on the Medicaid insurances, they would get a gift card to come in for an office visit, and it was more than the residency was getting paid to see them. Um, but these are the types of things that you have to do to get people to, to do what is going to make the most healthy, because I, I think that's another interesting aspect of health insurance, actually. There's so often when I'm seeing patients... They're like, uh, I don't really care to do all these check boxes and questionnaires and stuff. The thing that patients don't appreciate, though, is that the insurance companies refuse to, to pay us for the services rendered or withhold part of it if we don't ask, you know, do you want to do a colonoscopy or do for one? Um, nobody's excited about it. And even if ultimately you don't <laughs> want to do it, uh, that's, that's okay. That's your prerogative. But my job is to offer it. Uh, so that you know what's what's available. And the insurance company forces my hand because if we don't talk about it and then heaven forbid you get colon cancer, they're really mad at me that we didn't do something to prevent that. Uh, yes. It's hard to win sometimes, isn't it? Well, it's so convoluted and it, it leads to frustration, you know, on, on the part of patients and on the part of healthcare professionals. I know I'm frustrated with insurance routinely. 
Uh, it's a it's an easy target, and it doesn't seem to care no matter how mad I get. It's still there. So uh, yeah, it's it's tough. So hopefully, you know, Lewis can help unravel some of the. I wish we didn't have this this middleman paying. I mean, just about everything else, you pay for what you get, but it's not true in medicine. And it just it, it just separates us so much. We're atomized as a society. And I, I can't believe that's good for healthcare. Well, it it's I can't think there's that many jobs where you do the work and then you figure out what it's worth later, you know, and it's not up to you. You know, the prices you set are totally fictitious. Nobody it doesn't really matter what you said because the insurance company is going to tell you later what your work was worth. Yes. And, uh, and even if we have to pay our staff more, we can't raise prices because it's whatever the insurance companies pay us. And yeah, it, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not fun to feel like even though you're in private practice, let alone half of physicians who are not, you still aren't really in control of your practice. It's interesting. I was reading an article about the the new Medicare cuts because last year they cut like 0.75% in reimbursements to doctors for outpatient regular medical visits. And then this year they were going to cut 8% and I think it got negotiated down to 3.5%. 2% is what I saw. I think 2% is the pay-go, but then there was still the other adjustment. Oh my goodness. They improved it, but it's still, still a big cut. A loss. And uh, the, the interesting thing was I was reading this article and they said, if you eliminated all outpatient payments to doctors uh, for every surgery you do, Tom, for every patient I see, for every patient Chris sees, that would save 10% of Medicare costs. So 90% of Medicare costs would still exist because it's going to the hospitals. And so it's very interesting because the hospitals actually got a pay increase this year and the doctors right. got cut. And so- it, there's a lot of questions about lobbyists and, you know, the politics. And uh, there might be a lot of complaining on this show. I don't know. Maybe Lewis, <laughs> Lewis is an upbeat guy. So hopefully he can he can kind of guide us and also give us some glimmers of hope, especially with what they're doing at Curo and other health sharing ministries. It's so exciting because it's an alternative to the rat race and the craziness that is health insurance. Just like uh, direct primary care. That was a fascinating one also to have the patient pay the doctor. What a a novel concept. Well, with that introduction, we will have Lewis on shortly. But first, the medical trivia question of the day. And since we're talking about wellness, the category is physical activity in Americans. According to a 2021 article called Historical Body Temperature Records as a population-level thermometer of physical activity in the United States. In other words, they went back and they have a record of people's typical temperatures 200 years ago. They can, they, they can, oh, what's the word, extrapolate? That's a good word. They can extrapolate probably what their physical activity was. So based on that study, since 1820, how much more physical activity did Americans get or less? Did they get A, 30 minutes more daily now? B, do we get an hour or 60 minutes more of daily physical activity now than 200 years ago? C, do we get 30 minutes less of activity now compared to 200 years ago? Or do we get 60 minutes less a day than then? Or has there been no change in 200 years? How is the average American's level of physical activity, walking or more, changed in the last 200 years. You'll have to wait till the end of the show, but we'll be back after the break with Lewis Brown here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to our special interview today on Dr. Doctor with Lewis Brown. He's going to talk about health insurance, health sharing, and wellness. He's the executive director of the Christ Medicus Foundation and has been for the last nine years. He took off a year and a half to work for the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, but returned to the private sphere again in early 2019 to CMF Curo. He's got a bachelor's degree in political economy from Michigan State University, uh, a law degree from Howard University in Washington, D.C. He's worked for a Republican congressman, a Democratic senator, and the Maryland Conference, Maryland Catholic Conference. And uh, welcome back, Louis Brown, to Dr. Doctor. Thanks, Dr. McGovern. Thanks, uh Thanks, Dr. Malayli. Really appreciate the opportunity. Sure. And uh, Tom and Andrew would be fine on the show. We're all friends here, Lewis. <laughs> so uh, the cost of health insurance is rising exponentially. 
but it seems like the services being covered keep decreasing. How did we get here? How did health insurance become such a money pit with so much friction in the gears? Yeah, I, my sense uh, from from my experience working on this in government at the policy level, working with uh, Catholic uh, healthcare entities that are really tr- seeking to serve and treat the human person uh, and to place love at the center is that sometime uh, over the last 60 years, particularly after World War II, when we moved into a health insurance system so based on uh, uh, receiving uh, health insurance, paying for one's medical costs to one's employer, we saw a move away from the patient, the person at the center of our healthcare system and the relationship with God. Uh, and we moved that to it being focused on profit. Uh, and I think that's that's what we've seen. It, the secularization of medicine, the profit motive coming uh, to the fore, to the forefront of the healthcare system and away from it being about the patient and their relationship. So were doctors. other countries not offering healthcare through uh, employers back after World War II? Was this something new in the world? I think it was, it was my experience, it's newish. And some of my experience on this and, and understanding of it uh, when it comes to other countries is not the same as when it comes to the United States. But when you saw other countries, particularly in the West, uh, particularly when you're looking at Europe, increasingly, particularly post-war, they started dealing with the with paying for uh, the healthcare cost of their citizenry uh, through government uh, government health plans. Uh, we first focused on the private sector through the employer, uh, but increasingly that pulled more and more uh, power, influence, uh, and appropriate exercise of control away from the patient uh, and into a healthcare system that was much more focused again on profit. And 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 uh, and finance and away from what it should be about, which is caring for the human person. It seems uh, it seems crazy. You know, we I, in preparation for this show, I was looking up, you know, googling Doctor Google a few things, and uh, they said to to have a baby. The first Blue Cross baby was in 1933. I was reading, they were in the hospital for 10 days, and it cost <laughs> it cost 60 bucks to have a baby. Now, I just had a baby not too long ago. It was more than 60 bucks. Um, <laughs> and so you got to wonder if this is if this is so great, uh, why don't people love it? And uh, if it's so great, why don't we do this with everything? Why don't we do it with food? Or why is auto insurance and life insurance different? What makes the health insurance machine so different? Is this historical or does it have to be this way? I, I don't think it's historical. I think, you know, again, People saw that they could make a buck. Uh, I think there's a, des- a mixed motive of desire to help and care for people, and also desire to make a buck. And that's appropriate, right? We people have to pay, you know, they have to pay to live for for themselves and their families. Uh, it's understandable uh, that that would happen. Um, but at some point, it moved away again from how do I care for the patient? It moved away from the doctor that was going around serving the patients that they. Uh, could serve within their community. And it's become something uh, else uh, uh, entirely. And so I think there's a need to reclaim healthcare for what it should be about caring for the sick and suffering, helping human beings flourish as children of God that they were created to be. Uh, And I think that's the challenge that's before us today. The opportunity uh, to reclaim healthcare, recenter it in its proper foundation uh, could create an extraordinary renaissance and our American civil society. But if we fail to do it, the consequences are dire. So how can Andrew and I do that? For instance, we just found out uh, we got a a three and a half percent pay cut this year from Medicare. Yet I know in our practice, we have increased wages 15 to 22 percent in the last year to year and a half. And that's the money we get to do it with. 80 percent of my patients are Medicare. You know, after a while, it's not going to be sustainable. How what is a way out for for physicians and for patients? I've seen a couple things at work, and and um, I have some experience here, but in some ways my ex- my expertise is, is has some limitation. But um, I've seen a couple things that I think uh, have the potential to flourish. The first thing is for some for some uh, physicians, uh, particularly that are doing primary care, uh, and obviously most doctors aren't doing primary care. Uh, but the power of a direct care practice. Yeah. I'm a member of a direct care pr- practice that is doing extraordinary work in Northern Virginia, 
Uh, I can out my uh, wonderful doctor, Dr. Matt Hayden, who's outstanding. Uh, and it has, on a certain level, in terms of how I engage my healthcare and my overall fitness, it's really changed my life the last five or six years. It's been extraordinary. So I think the power of a direct care practice where uh, there's less uh, management uh, that the physician has to be in. They can spend more time with the patient. Uh, it's more of a direct relationship. I think financially, it can be extraordinary for, extraordinarily financially beneficial uh, to the physician. Uh, I had a, a health expert who we collaborate with at the uh, Heritage Foundation uh, said to us several years ago that even a few years ago, there was over 2,500 direct care practices in the United States, even one in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas. And that's not to pick on Arkansas, but it just shows you that it's really penetrated across the country. So I think there's power in direct care practices. I also think there is an opportunity for more and more physicians uh, to collaborate together, particularly those that are faith-based and those that want to practice ethical medicine. Uh, and there's power in, you know, our friends at Catholic Benefits Association say there's power in association. I think that's true with large independent physician practices banding together uh, to practice uh, medicine the way it was it's supposed to be practiced, putting the patient at the center, recognizing that their spiritual relationship is the center of everything. You know, Lewis, it sounds like as, as you're describing these direct care practices, I mean, that sounds like how it used to be. And, you know, we've on the show, we've had folks who are practicing in that way. Yeah, Marguerite Duane recently. We just, yeah, we aired that not too long ago. And it's it's awesome. It sounds great. What what got us to this point where we're trying to look back to that? What's changed about health insurance in the last 50 years? I think there's a couple things. I did think about this a bit. I think a couple things. Um, I think the big the big shift, particularly the last 11, 12 years, has been the engagement of the government. On a certain level, um, there can be benefits for government uh, being engaged, uh, kicking out bad actors when it comes to health insurance companies, uh, regulating the healthcare industry to protect uh, consumers that are buying uh, various healthcare products, also to protect uh, you know patients from uh, abuse, waste, and fraud uh, at the hands of their medical professional providing them care or the healthcare system uh, that gets overly focused on the profit motive. At the same time, though, government engagement. Uh, in healthcare, it, it has an appropriate place, but it can overreach, it can overextend. And when government gets in the business of uh, creating the market of uh, in healthcare, managing the market in healthcare, and on a certain level running the market in healthcare, uh, it doesn't work. And it creates a bad proposition, uh, I think, both for medical professionals uh, that want to be in uh, the ministry of caring for the sick and the suffering, but it's also a bad proposition for the patients. Uh, we've seen an, uh, just an increase in cost, uh, an increase in uh, uh, disengagement on the part of patients who feel like their physician doesn't know uh, their name, doesn't know anything about them, is only spending seven minutes. We also see increasingly uh, practices saying, we're not going to take uh, uh, Medicaid patients. We just can't afford it. Uh, and that's a problem. And so I think having greater engagement uh, at the local level, at the at the level of the family, the church, the community, uh, and uh, individuals coming together uh, to provide care in their local communities and at the state level, that's the way to go. It's simple subsidiarity. It's very simple, but it's also very complex. But I think moving away from a centrally con controlled government system uh, is a large part of the solution uh, going forward. So let's talk vocabulary. I know Chris Stroud likes to get down to basics. Um, so what's in with health insurance? What's a copay, Lewis? Uh, a health insurance uh, copay uh, is where you know usually, particularly within an em employed uh, uh, sponsored plan, where the patient or the consumer is putting some money, some amount of money uh, to. Uh, pay for uh, their medical bills, uh, and most people experience that depending on their health insurance product. And then a deductible. How is that different than a copay, or is copay part of the deductible? Um, the, the the deductible is usually what's paid. You know, the the very the very initial that the patient has to, or the consumer, the patient and the consumer has to pay usually before insurance kicks in. Okay, so the the copay can go toward that deductible, and that's usually a number that's. For a, for a year, 
for a person or for a family. Is that right? That's right. Okay. What is coinsurance? I, coinsurance is complicated and, and out of a little bit out of my purview. I, okay. I, you know, we've dealt with that before, but uh, probably a little bit beyond my expertise. I, I wouldn't want to lead listeners astray. We, we see it a lot in primary care, the coinsurance. It's a lot of times it's where you've, you've already kind of met your deductible amount, but there's a sneaky thing they call the out-of-pocket max, which is like the, the maximum you can pay um, before the insurance pays for everything. And so after you meet that initial deductible, you got to pay a percentage until you get to that out-of-pocket max, which is, uh, it's just another, another mechanism, I think, to, to try and get the patients to pay for, for the care. And of course, then there's the out-of-network coverage. What is that, Lewis? Right. So that's coverage that with an insurance plan that'll kick in when uh, a person has a a provider network that uh, has some type of relationship with uh, the insurance plan. Uh, and if someone decides to go outside of that network, uh, it might kick in that there's some additional cost for uh, going outside of some type of preferred network that a insurance plan has uh, set up in in advance of the person joining the insurance plan. And then there's the highly uh, unfavorable phrase prior authorization. Sure. I I think generally that deals with where the insurance company uh, authorizes or doesn't authorize certain type of medical procedures to be paid for. Is your your blood pressure going up, Tom? Um, (laughs) Mine is. uh, Just one more definition from Lewis, and then I want him to compare health sharing to all these different terms. And then the single payer plan. Sure. You know, it's interesting, Tom, this, um, Tom and Andrew, it's so funny because I, I have written about, talked about, worked on healthcare policy a lot uh, at numerous levels the last uh, 10 years or so, and tried to figure out the best way to message this. Um, but we're, when we talk about a single payer, we, we're talking about um, government-controlled health care, where the federal government in Washington, D.C., the Department of Health and Human Services, is running, maybe it's multiple programs, but essentially centrally planning, centrally controlling, centrally, centrally running our nation's health care system. Um, I would have said four years ago, before uh, COVID before the uh, public health crisis, that we hadn't yet reached uh, a government-controlled healthcare system. That there's still a free-flowing uh, private market. That there's a place for faith and the family. That there's a place for uh, medical professionals of faith, religious sisters to band together uh, and to provide care. And there is very much a place uh, for that for private individuals, for people of faith, for religious organizations. Uh, to provide care. Uh, unfortunately, I think what we've seen the last three years is we, while we don't have a single payer system where there's one, there's one federal uh, program for 300 million people uh, to prov- provide, to, to receive the uh, coverage of their healthcare costs, the payment of the healthcare costs through one system. We don't have a single payer system yet, but we do have on a certain level, government controlled, government run healthcare where the federal government, I believe, exercises outsized, disproportionate uh, power and control over our nation's healthcare system. There's some benefit to that when it comes to um, certain aspects, but overall, it's a net negative. It's something that needs to change. With the single player plan, too, I mean, it looks to me, Lewis, like almost every couple of years, the, the, the federal government seems to be getting closer to a single payer plan. Um, just by biting off different percentages of the population that ultimately end up on Medicare or Medicaid or an, another program like that. Is that fair to say that they're kind of nickel and diming their way to a, a single payer plan? Right. And I think I, I think that's what we're seeing. And I there's a lot of debate about whether that's intentional or not. Um, there's some that would say, and I'm not saying this, but I'm saying that these are some of the arguments that are out that are out there. There are some that said that when they, when Congress and policy experts uh, passed the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, the ACA, otherwise known as some co- folks will call it Obamacare, but the Affordable Care Act was passed, that it was built and essentially not to work and to therefore require a an ongoing expansion of 
these state and federal health care exchanges to garble up more and more of the patient consumer population in the United States. Some people disagree with that, but I think that's what we're seeing. So by way of example, without getting too detailed, uh, post, you know, post the initial outbreak of COVID, there was a massive expansion of the funding of uh, of the pre- of the of the cost of premiums for millions of Americans uh, to provide more federal tax support uh, for the payment of those premiums, basically making it more attractive, incentivizing millions more Americans to join uh, the exchanges, the healthcare exchanges, the health insurance plans uh, that were created by the Affordable Care Act, uh, and there was a refusal to uh, roll that back. Uh, now that you know the public healthcare crisis is really really, really calm down. So I, I do think, Andrew, that you're right. And I think that's, that's very, it's very bad. That's, it's not good. I mean, it's good that we're helping people, but there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Do, uh, and do, I could go into great detail on that, but yeah. Do you think patients see this? Do you think patients see this as bad or do you think they, you know, I, I'm thinking kind of as a devil's advocate, hey, now, now I'm on this program. It's a lot cheaper than it was before. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the single payer thing's a good thing. Obviously, a lot a lot of political folks want to do it. T- tell us tell us how to think through that, or why maybe a patient might recognize this is not not best for me. Right. So I think I think there's a couple ways of looking at it. Um, I think on the upside, what are the positives um, of of the extended government support uh, that's enabling more Americans to pay. Uh, you know, to, to pay less, to, to more, to have health insurance plans that are more affordable to them through the exchanges. What are the upside? The upside is that, you know, and this is real, there are people that are able to, uh, there are some people that are uh, more easily able to pay for some of their medical costs uh, and, and ways that they weren't able to do before. There are people that are able to save money and, and have the safety and security of feeling that, uh, there's a health insurance plan that's, you know, essentially backed by the federal government. Uh, that's gonna, um, you know, that's gonna be there to pay for some of their of their costs. And so, whether that's the, the the veracity of that's debated, but there's some truth to there. And I have no doubt that there are circumstances where that's that's a, a very serious real uh, benefit. That's important. And there's a there's a role for the government to provide for the social safety net. I think the negative. Go ahead, please. Oh, no, Lewis, I think this is a good place to take a break uh, so that when we come back, we can then talk about what are some of the things that health sharing, like Curo's doing, uh, and wellness in the face of what seems like this gargantuan system, what can we do at the local level to take charge of our own health care? And we're going to do that with Lewis Brown here on Dr. Doctor after the break. And we are back with Dr. Doctor today talking to Lewis Brown about health insurance, the the disease, I would say. It seems like we have a pandemic uh, in the health insurance marketplace, and and we were talking about that. And hopefully now we're going to be talking about the antidote as well. You know, Lewis, right before we went to break, we were touching on the single payer system, which depending the circles you run in, some people look at that as the grim reaper uh, or, or really the final uh, enthalpy of all health insurance is it all goes over to the federal government. You had mentioned some of the good things. Admittedly, uh, it would be beneficial in some ways. Tell us why so many people are afraid of that and why we are looking for antidotes for this problem. Yeah, I think the, you know, and particularly thinking about this as Catholics, um, I think the the challenge with the single payer system is twofold. The first is that um, it undermines the principle of subsidiarity. Um, problems are best uh, solved when you're closest to the problem. You know, um, Judy, Judy in California can't get to Susie in Detroit uh, and love her when she's in crisis, as well as Jimmy, who's down the street, who can be right there with her. And so uh, in a similar vein, when we have uh, the family, the church, the local community, the state that's most engaged with problems that are closest to the problem, you have better solutions. Uh, and so, when you think about a single payer system, where central, you know, where you have a centrally planned system from Washington D.C. essentially running the entire healthcare industry for 300 million people, uh, massive problems are going to incur. And the experiment with the Affordable Care Act has shown us exactly 
that. It's, it's not really working. It's being financially propped up uh, and patients are unhappy. The other challenge is a, a single payer system in a world where uh, there is extraordinary respect and protection of the sanctity of human life and human dignity from conception to natural death within the biological scientific reality of the human person, uh, a system a, a, a system that's single payer and that type of cultural reality um, consistent with life, dignity, and the human person uh, is, you know, per, perhaps is something to uh, consider, but that's not the reality that we live in. We live in a world where there is extraordinary hostility for the dignity of the human person, for their sexual, biological, uh, chemical uh, reality of their existence. Uh, and really, I think in the world that we live in, uh, what we are seeing is by the control of the federal government uh, of the healthcare system, you're seeing in, in it, it becoming an increasingly a delivery mechanism for the culture of death in our healthcare. That's why it's so dangerous. Lewis, tell us, tell us about the antidote. Obviously, in, in your work, you do a lot of things, but with CMF Cure, one of the things you guys have, you're obviously our sponsors, is this health sharing product. What, what is health sharing? And, and how can that be an antidote to this? Sure. I, I would say that Christ is the anecdote. And, I, and that's not to be trite. That's not to be, um, you know, to have a, a nice soundbite. But that's the reality. Every answer is Jesus Christ. Every answer. And so how do we understand that? Um, what Christ teaches us is uh, to be in communion with him and to be in communion with each other. Uh, and that's what uh, health sharing, but also the work that we're doing at the Christ Medicus Foundation, particularly through our Curo ministry, is to bring thousands of Catholics across the country into greater communion with Christ and each other through the sharing of medical costs, but also through providing them with our expanded services that include spiritual direction, uh, Catholic healthcare coaching, online wellness courses steeped in the Christian human, anthropolo uh, human anthropology of, of who we are, uh, as human beings created in the existence uh, and the dignity of God. Uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, something to share with you, you might be familiar with this. There was a Harvard study that's very famous uh, that looked at lifespan and longevity and the factors that uh, that uh, great, most greatly contributed to the, uh, the longevity. They started with a class of 1938. I've spoken about this. In oh, yes. That class included Jack Kennedy, future president. It also included... Uh, ben Bradley, who is the executive editor of the Washington Post, and looking over sixty plus years of of what was the difference uh, in why those folks live longer and some folks uh, live not as long. The main difference it wasn't diet, nutrition, all of these other things. The level of one's health care it was community, it was mm -hmm. meaningful relationships. And the number one person to have a relationship with is Jesus Christ. The number two person to have a relationship is all of the people around you. And so that's what we're doing at Christ Medicus. We're sharing, we're helping people share their medical costs, but it's not, it's much more than health sharing. Health sharing is great. It has its place. But we're providing services that are helping folks encounter Christ in every dimension of their health and wellness. It's whole person wellness through the Catholic health coaching, through our online services, through our spiritual direction, and also through a spiritual health program, in part based on the great work of Dr. Bob Sheets at the John Paul II Healing Center. Well, I just wanted to, to say, you stole next words out of my mouth, Lewis. In other words, in, any of the benefit that people are getting by listening to Dr. Doctor, some of that is definitely due to your generosity to us so that we can continue to do that and, and pay the costs of putting this together. But also you have introduced us to Bob Schutz, who is giving us a, a new level of understanding of what healing is and that truly it is. If you come closer to Jesus Christ, so many things in physically and mentally do get healed. Not everything, but life definitely gets buttered. So I think you are so wise in doing that. Now, I wanted to ask you, Lewis, with just the health sharing part of it, before we go on to some of the wellness things you're doing, how does the health sharing help with the costs of seeing a physician, of having surgery? Sure. So, um, you know, I we gave a presentation to uh, a, groups, uh, a group of, uh, um, of Catholic men yesterday, and uh, we were greeted by one of our members who um, had a significant healthcare event in their lives, and it was you know hundreds of thousand dollars, and it was paid uh, in full. And so, our members um, that join our uh, ministry of Curo um, have their medical needs 
once there is a medical incident, they have their medical cost uh, paid for uh, by the membership that's nationwide. We partner with Samaritan Ministries International, and uh, they're a large uh, Christian uh, health sharing uh, ministry with over 100,000 um, uh, Catholics, Protestants, Christians of various denominations that all believe in the Trinitarian uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are sharing their medical costs together. Uh, and I, I think that it is uh, not only a wellspring of confidence and security um, that medical costs are going to be paid for, uh, but it's also a real expression of, of the a body of Christ coming together to directly care for uh, the medical cost of, of individuals across the country. So would you say that patients have a more direct line to their physician when they're being paid like this versus through health insurance? I mean, do they have to worry about co-pays, deductibles, out-of-network coverage with health sharing? No, those things, it's it, it's very different. Health sharing just is not insurance. It's it's so different. Um, and I think one of the main ways is that uh, within our model, a individual, uh, a family will pay the first several hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars of uh, the medical bill, but the rest of it is shared out to the membership. Um, there's no middleman. The patient is interacting directly uh, with their physician, with the medical office, or with the hospital that they're working with. Uh, but it cuts out the middleman. It really puts the patient, uh, the uh, the member of our ministry, in the driver's seat when it comes to their health care. So there's no need for catastrophic insurance with a health sharing plan. There, there's it there, without getting too into the details. Um, there's different ways of doing it, and but generally speaking, even very large health insurance cost, uh, health excuse me, even with very large uh, health uh, incidents, yes. have extraordinarily high cost. That can be shared uh, through the membership, and we're seeing that happen um, with m- members over the years that have had significant life-altering catastrophic incidents and having their medical bills paid in full. There's different levels uh, of the sharing that one can join uh, to provide for that. Some people may choose to still have a, a catastrophic insurance plan on top of it, but I think generally for most people, that's not necessary. How, how would that dovetail with one of the direct primary care uh, practices? Do you guys work with them? Um, n- n- we don't re- work with any practice uh, directly in terms of some type of formal engagement, but I can speak to just my own experience as someone that s- relies solely yeah. on health sharing, but also has as a member of a direct care practice where I pay around $70 a month uh, to be able to see my physician. Um Health sharing uh, through Curo, it doesn't pay for uh, preventative costs. That's all on the member, but it pays for costs that come from an actual medical incident where someone gets ill or has an injury or something to that effect. Uh, But the preventative care is on the person. So with my direct care uh, membership, I'm a member of Modern Mobile Medicine in Northern Virginia. Um, I'm generally able to see my outstanding physician, Dr. Hayden, uh, within 24, 48 hours. Uh, I'm in the office with him sometimes same day. Uh, usually, I said generally if I have an issue in the morning, I can see him that afternoon. Uh, definitely usually the next day, uh, I can be on the phone with him uh, within hours. It's extraordinary. And I think that kind of relationship, he he spends time with me as opposed to the the the, I think the disappointment and the sense of uh, being lost, unseen, kind of forgotten uh, with the normal uh, visit with the primary care doctor that lasts seven minutes and they don't even remember your name and know nothing about you. Uh, Dr. Hayden knows, you know, when it comes to my healthcare, virtually everything about me. Uh, and that is able to increase the his capacity and, his, the, and the quality of his care for me. And I've seen that over and over and over and over again. So I think with a direct care practice merges very well with someone that seeks to do health sharing. So Lewis, in the last nine minutes, let's go through some of the health and wellness things. What would you say is the number one wellness thing that you offer that has been demonstrated to really make a difference in patients' lives? I, I've seen spiritual direction. Now, I, you know, it may not be best to characterize it as health and wellness, although we do I, it's part of the whole person and their human flourishing. San Irenaeus said that the glory of God is man fully alive, and that's man fully alive through relationship with Jesus Christ. But that the, the power of having uh, access to a spiritual director is extraordinary. Uh, and we've seen, um, you know, we have a deacon who's been public about this. You know, his life was uh, transformed. 
uh, at least his vocation to the diaconate was transformed as a wonderful deacon Sandin out in Anchorage, uh, Alaska, in that area. The spiritual direction really helped him to come into the fullness of his vocation as a as a deacon, and I think has uh, probably altered his life uh, for the positive. We've also seen we our members have done a Bible study, or excuse me, not a Bible study, but a member study on be healed and walking them through that. We've seen extraordinary power with that. We've also seen real power with our Catholic health coaching. We have a great, remarkable Catholic health coach, Rebecca Wilson, graduate of Benedictine, uh, Benedictine College and also graduate school out in Austria. And she has been working to imp- improve uh, the wellness, the physical, uh, uh, you know, wellness of our members. And Part of working with that, what Rebecca has seen, is it helps people to break through barriers and lies they might they might be believing about what they can and can't do uh, with their health. So those three three things combined, I think the, the power of the spiritual direction, people having a health coach where they have a relationship with someone centered in the Lord that's checking up on, on them, helping them set goals, encouraging to uh, advance in uh, the reality that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and should be treated as such. That has been transformative for um, uh, for our member, for some of our members that are doing the programs, uh, and it's been been a wonderful thing to see. What does a health coaching session look like, Lewis? I'm not a health coach, and we should have Rebecca Wilson come on to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> not That's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, she. I think generally, she. You know, they set goals. Uh, she. She. First of all, what she does is she really gets to know the person uh, and and just spends time with them. It's remote. But get to spend time with them and see, you know, where they're at in their life, um, uh, and, and gets to know them uh, uh, better. And I think over over time, this sort of plan set goals. I'd rather let Rebecca speak to the details of that, as I am not a certified health coach. Uh, but it's been a beautiful thing to see Rebecca get it off the ground, and also to see the response from our members. Yeah, tell us tell us some more of the stories about uh, kind of success stories and what the members have availed themselves to with these wellness programs. Yeah, I think I think the big thing that I've seen across the board, um, just in talking with our team and seeing, reading some of the testimonials and seeing some of the, we have a few video testimonials for some of our members, and we just launched this in November. Some of this was going on. We've been doing some of these services a little bit before. Um, with what we saw with the public health crisis is that people were separated um, from being the incarnate beings they were made to be and being with God in community, in person. Um, and people were separated from family and community. And, you know, you see just this social disintegration happening directly because of, of the public health crisis. Some of that may have been avoidable. Some of that may have been, some of it may have been necessary at different times and not getting into that debate. Um, but it has created a sense within many within our country. We see this with college students, with young adults, with older adults of isolation of being disconnected, and so I think the the main thing through these programs is helping people to reclaim their identity as sons or daughters of God uh, in every facet of their life, reclaiming their dignity through being connected and in communion with others, and even just knowing that someone is checking on them, cares about them, um, and is uh, inspiring them uh, to to do the will of God, even in their healthcare, um, to uh, treat their bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, uh, to know that the Lord has a plan for them uh, and that they are good, as Rebecca says. That has been, uh, I think, the biggest impact of the work that we're doing. Uh, this isn't a business, it's a ministry. Uh, and our, our, our ultimate goal is that people know that they were made for love that God loves them and God wants to get them back to himself. And that's, that's what we're in the business of doing uh, through healthcare. Yeah. So, it's, it's so interesting. Cause that when people go to the, the hospital now, I don't know that that's what they walk away with, you know, <laughs> maybe a hundred years ago when it was all nuns and uh, a lot of times, I mean, some of the hospitals were charity based or pay what you can, that type of thing. And uh, that's been totally lost. So it's, it's beautiful to hear that you guys are, bringing that back. And it does sound like an antidote to the depersonalization that we're seeing. What what do you see in the next 10, 15 years of the, the healthcare game? Is, uh, is health sharing going to take over or is it going to be single payer? What's the deal? I think it's a real, it's a real battle. Um, the, you know, the weapon for us as Christians is always uh, prayer and acts of 
spiritual, uh, uh, you know, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, right? That's the weapon for us. But it's going to be a real battle. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful uh, because of, because we know that Christ wins in the end. Um, right now, without, without um, a lot of prayer, reparation, and those spiritual and corporal works of mercy, we're headed for a, um, we're headed for the potential of a government healthcare system um, where the culture of death is normalized throughout healthcare. That Catholic healthcare is shut down and pushed out of healthcare altogether. Uh, that pro-life healthcare providers are put put out of healthcare altogether, and, and things like abortion and uh, contraception and uh, and transgender procedures become uh, not only um, uh, you know. Uh, permissible, but but required and coerced upon patients uh, and providers, even things like sterilization uh, and assisted suicide. Uh, but I think with with the the grace of Almighty God, with a lot of prayer and petition, and with a lot of works of spiritual um, uh, acts of uh, spiritual uh, spiritual works of mercy and the corporal works of mercy, uh, we can reclaim healthcare for Christ, and that looks like going out to the margins with the best care um, that we possibly can on the medical side, on the technological side, and psychological counseling, prayer ministry, all together, presenting the divine physician, expanding the reach of the divine physician in medical clinics, uh, in Catholic hospitals, uh, not retreating, but going further out. That's a lot of the work we can talk about another time that the Christ Medicus Foundation is doing. Uh, We're launching uh, the Heart of Christ Clinic here in Detroit with partners, a new medical center uh, in Detroit that will provide for pregnant mothers uh, and their children and the whole family that we think will become the best primary care uh, in the city of Detroit and in the region of Metro Detroit. So that's the kind of work I would like to see us as a church do across the country, uh, that we're caring for every pregnant mother, not just uh, uh, the work of a pregnancy clinic or pregnancy resource center, uh, but all of the work of a primary care that, that one would get for the whole family that provides that medical care, but also transforms their lives by bringing them into the community, into the womb of the Blessed Mother, uh, so that they're cared for, healed, and loved. Lewis, that is a beautiful comment to end on for this episode. We're going to have to look on about having your health coach on. That sounds like a fascinating topic. But thanks for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, and we hope to talk to you again, Lewis. Thank you so much, Dr. McGovern. Uh, Tom and Andrew, I should say. It's a pleasure. <laughs> God bless you. And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question. Tom? So compared to 200 years ago, how much more or less exercise, physical activity do Americans get? 30 minutes more, 60 minutes more, 30 minutes less, 60 minutes less, or the same? And the answer is we get 30 minutes of physical activity less now than 200 years ago. And I I am not a bit surprised. For sure. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm glad it's only 30 minutes less. You know, you always think of these old, old dead people. They were working constantly. And I'm like, oh, 30 minutes more. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah, that, that is um, amazing. Um, but, um, you know, it is what it is. So, do we have a top three? wasn't that bad. Yes. Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, I, I love talking to Lewis. A couple of things he said stood out to me. We were talking, and I love to complain about health insurance. It's part of just the joys of being in medicine, he kind of diagnosed the pathology as a lack of subsidiarity, yes. which uh, I like it when, when he brings that out, obviously a, a pillar of the kind of social justice of the church. And I think that is it. You know, that's point number one. Uh, point number two, it, the, the quote that came to me as he was talking uh, is from Mother Teresa. And she said that, you know, we've forgotten that we were made for each other. Oh, as he's great quote. talking about going to the periphery. He's talking about providing health care, but in a local way from someone down the street, being with them, uh, suffering with someone rather than straight bureaucracy. And uh, he had mentioned, you know, the profit motive and growth and centralization. And that's not really where people encounter Christ, you know, and that's not the best way of, of doing health care for sure. And then for number three, you know, he, he had mentioned at the end there, especially the culture of death versus the culture of life. We hear about that on TV, read about it in the paper all the time and the risks in healthcare, uh, of which there are many. But the alternative, you know, the antidote 
is is to have life and to have it abundantly is is what Christ calls us to. And I think Lewis is on the forefront of that. So I am excited to hear more in the future from him. I love the idea of the health coach and uh, also excited to hear about his work with Steve White and the new healthcare initiative that they're doing. So hopefully we'll be touching base with them in the future on that as well. Yes. So we like getting uh, big picture. We like getting narrowed down into different diseases. So we're trying to cover it all for you here on Dr. Doctor. Uh, I always enjoy seeing the, the gamut of medicine and we hope you do too but we really want to know what you think once in a while and we're going to tell you how to to do that here on dr doctor because otherwise it's just our little circle around us telling us what we think is important and it's mostly chris andrew andrea and me <laughs> that's that's true we love good ideas we don't have any corner on good ideas so if you have a good idea write us and tell us and we will steal it and maybe give you credit so thanks for being with us for yet another episode of dr doctor you can listen to this episode and all on our website, drdoctor.org. If you click on episode archive at the top right, you can search over 300 episodes by guest or topic. And we now offer a video version of our podcast. Just click on the YouTube link near the top of the homepage at drdoctor.org. And if you have a question or like I said, a good idea, click where it says submit a question. We'd love your input. Yes, this is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.